0: Good morning everybody. Will you, will you thank our musicians again? Didn't they do great work? Thank you. It is good to be with you. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're really grateful that you're here. We also wanna welcome our online community. We're always glad that you're with us as well. Certainly hope this time will be a blessing for you as we continue this journey of unleashing the scriptures and how it is the Bible can be not only relevant but real for our daily faith journey, that is certainly our goal. And so I just want to uh, remind us that this uh, book of books, this collection of 66 that is foundational and doctrinal and authoritative for us, it's God's love story for you and for all of creation. It's God's yearning to be in relationship with each one of us to help us better understand who God is and what God is calling us to as followers of Jesus. What we've learned over the last several weeks is that this is uh, inspired by God, that those writers who put it down were inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God's presence, and inspired to bring us this authoritative Word. It's good for teaching and for uh, reproofing and for guiding and encouraging, right? And we discovered, of course, last week that it contains all things necessary for salvation, and that's the good news, right? That's a part of this love story is that God not only wanted to be in relationship with us, but God wanted a right relationship with us and God wanted to help right our wrongs and help us better discover the power of God's love for us and what a gift that is. I know for my own self when I finally realized this as a young adult it helped transform my life. It helped me to realize that from the words of this book and the prayers to God that I had discerned that God wanted to call me into ordained ministry and to serve God all of my days. What I learned when I read this book and when I pray to God and discern God's will, I learned that God has a way forward for me, that God has a purpose for my life, that God desires for me to serve and share the gospel. What I read in these words and what I pray and discern from God is that God wants to use you and me together to build God's kingdom and to create God's glory here on earth. And what a glorious opportunity that is as well. And so it's such a wonderful gift when we set aside time to recognize how gifted this book is for our hearts and for our lives. That it reminds us that God loves us without fail, that God desires that wonderful connection with us that can help claim us for God's use in the world. In this love story, what we begin to discover is that God wants to know us. And we want to know God better. And like any good relationship, a part of what that means is the more energy and effort and uh, exertion we put into the relationship, the better it is, right? The more communication we have, the more connection we have in any human relationship, it makes the relationship better. That's the beauty of this book. It helps us to better recognize God's heart. When we read Scripture, we discover God's character. We begin to know God's identity better. We recognize God's purposes in the world. We discover God's will and God's ways and God's wishes for each one of us. And what a powerful gift that is, right? What we also recognize is that um, over the last many years, probably the last two decades, study after study has indicated that the more we engage Scripture, it is the number one way to catalyze or grow our faith. Above prayer, above worship, above service, above witnessing, all of those are important and all of those claim our hearts. But it is the engagement of Scripture that catalyzes our faith more than anything else. The American Bible Society, a couple of three years ago, right after COVID, did a survey as well, and they discovered a couple of things in their survey about scriptures. One of the things they discovered was when we engage scripture on a regular basis, it helps us to discover happiness more. Isn't that true? We recognize our gratitude for life and the richness of what God has to offer for us. The study also indicated from the American Bible Society that when we engage Scripture on a regular basis, that it helps us to better understand our purposes and the capacity to fulfill those in the world. Because we learn about our spiritual gifts and we learn about the way God prepares us and we learn the way God equips us for doing ministry. And when we learn that, discover that, and then implement that, it changes who we are. And it has impact on the world, you see. What a gift that is. It's all the more reason we want to engage Scripture regularly and consistently. And why I was so delighted to hear some of the statistics, you know, we've been trying to track a little bit over the last four weeks uh, how you are reading Scripture. And here's a few of the things we've discovered. At least 588 of you have said that you are committed to reading Scripture daily throughout this month that we requested. That's good news, that's a delight. What we also know is when we invited you to go to tmumc.org Bible to simply say, yeah, today I read the Bible. Today I read the Bible. Uh, almost 1,100 of you did that. Almost 1,100 uh, times, that is to say, uh, you acknowledged that you'd read Scripture. What a gift that is. We know that uh, 430 of you have identified the UVersion app uh, as uh, our church as, uh, on your app, and what that means is you get pushed Some devotional guides that are scripturally relevant and are tied to our worship series week in and week out, not just in January, uh, but every week. What a gift that is. What we also know is that um, many of you have said that this is your first time to regularly and consistently read Scripture, and I give praise to God for that. That is a gift for you, for us, and for God's kingdom. And we celebrate that joy and are honored by it because. It will help you grow in a relationship with God, discover God's heart, and in fact, you will help change the world because of that. And so what we want to do today, having talked about how we got Scripture, how it's inspired by God, and how we as United Methodist Christians render that Scripture, we want to talk today a little bit about how, how do we apply it? How, how does it become relevant for us and what do we do with it? Because uh, that's our goal. If this is indeed a God's love story for you and for all of creation, we not only want to know that love story, but we want to join that love story, right? We want to be a part of what it is God is doing in the world. And so in order for us to engage Scripture, I want to challenge us to, to think of this way to engage Scripture. When we engage Scripture regularly, we need to engage it practically, emotionally, and missionally practically, emotionally, and missionally. Practically just means let's do it, right? Let's read the Word. Let's better try to understand it. uh, Let's uh, apply it as best we can. We want to do that practically, right? But we also want to be emotionally tied. If it's a love story, man, no good love story, uh, you can't have a good love story without emotion, right? And in part, all that means is we want it to impact our heart. We want it to touch our souls. We want it to have impact on who we are. That means emotionally. So it's not just words on a page. If all these are our words on a page, it's no better than any other book. But if this contains all things necessary for salvation, it needs to hit us in the heart. It needs to grab hold of who we are, right, emotionally. And then finally, missionally, all that really means is that it's calling us to something. Missionally, we need to do something with what it is we encounter here, Right? that we are called for a purpose, and if indeed we're going to build God's kingdom, God's Word is calling us to that, and we've got to read it as such. So there are many stories in Scripture where Jesus does this. I want to pick one particular one this morning. It comes from Luke chapter 4. This is in Luke's gospel, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You know, in each gospel, Jesus starts his ministry slightly differently. I love Mark's gospel, for instance, in the very first chapter, I mean, within a couple of verses, Jesus is baptized, he's dunked in the Jordan, he goes into the wilderness, there's a whole sentence about his temptation in the wilderness, and then he's off to the races. Verse 14, he claims what he's here for and that we need to repent and believe the good news because the time of God has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. But in Luke's gospel, it takes several chapters to describe his birth and his, his uh, uh, baptism and his tempering in the wilderness, and then he gets up and he begins his ministry. And in chapter 4, you might take notice that um, this is a unique way to begin your ministry. Listen to the way he does it. When he had come to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. Now, this is Isaiah 61, first couple of three verses. This is what Isaiah 61 said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Him and He began to say to them, Today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of Him. And were amazed at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. They said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, Elisha and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, All in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Isn't that a fascinating way to start your ministry? You move from elation to anger and violence. And I just want us to pause for a minute because this highlights the way in which Jesus engaged Scripture practically, emotionally, and missionally. Practically, He got handed the Scripture, the prophet Isaiah chapter 61, and He read it, right? And He he read it authoritatively, He read it with integrity, and He helped begin to interpret it. It was a practical way to understand God's Word. Emotionally, woo. When he got finished and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and he said, today in your hearing this has been fulfilled, man, you could have heard the cheers roar from the crowd, right? They were elated. They were excited. They were full of energy. They said he was, he was wonderful. What they were thinking to themselves, I'm sure, was this is our king. He's going to save us from our enemies. This is the king of David. He's going to do all of these things and help bring in God's kingdom and make all of this happen. You can almost feel all of the energy in the room. That's emotion, you can likewise feel the energy after he explains it even further, and they're ready to hurl him off the cliff. That's emotion, wouldn't you say? I think there's a bit of passion there. You go from high and to the pinnacle of the mountaintop to, I want to throw you off the top of the mountaintop, right? That's emotion. They could feel it. They could sense it. It wasn't necessarily all good, right? Emotion doesn't have to be all good, but emotion says, you've tugged right here, and you've pulled me closer, God. And you've helped me to understand maybe what I didn't want to understand, but now I know I need to understand. But nonetheless, I know you're here, and I know this is real emotion." And he helped them to understand it missionally. The way he helped them to understand it missionally was, I need you to understand, here's what the prophet Isaiah said. I need you to also recognize that what he said uh, and what he meant is this. God's mercy and God's justice, as you witnessed with God helping to uh, welcome the widow in Zarephath and help uh, provide for Naaman in Syria, is that God's mercy and justice is not just for the chosen, it's for everybody. And you need to hear this now because it's been fulfilled in your hearing. This thing that I've just read, the year of the Lord's favor, uh, I've come for the, to bring good news to the poor and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are captives, right? All of this is going to be fulfilled, not just for the chosen people of God, but for all of God's creation. That's a call to action. Not only has it been fulfilled here, but Jesus would go on in the Gospel of Luke and really in all of the other Gospels too, to say, if you're going to be my follower, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. That's what caused rage, but it was a missional call It was a call to action. It was a call to do something with uh, the word of God. It was a call to say there's more to this than just words on a page. You see, when we simply read this rotely, when it has no real purpose or value to us, but I check off that I've done it, that's not enough. It's a start. It's a helpful start. But we've got to recognize that every time we engage Scripture, we must do it practically, emotionally, and missionally. And the only way that that's going to have impact on who we are is if we recognize that it's real, that it's God's love story for you and all of creation. And in any good love story, I've got to participate. I've got to be in that story, and I've got to do something with that story, and God's calling us all into it. And so I want to suggest today a few ways that we can engage Scripture. And then I want to talk a little bit more about how it is as we as United Methodist Christians apply that to our daily life. Because when all is said and done, if indeed we're a part of this great love story, man, we've got to participate, right? We've got to engage. So not an exhaustive list, but a few suggestions for us that take the words off the page and claim us for God's purposes in the world. Here are some ways I want to suggest that we engage Scripture. First way we can engage Scripture is when we're reading, I want to encourage us to engage it by imagining. Just imagine. Um, If I'm in this story, for instance, golly, I wonder how people felt in that synagogue that day when Jesus got up to read. I wonder what it was like when he started. I wonder what it was like when he finished. I want to imagine. I want to imagine when uh, Elijah uh, runs from Jezebel and hides in the cliffs and and feels the wind and the, the sheer terror of the earthquake and the rains, and then finally hears God in the still small voice. I want to imagine, what was that like? What did it feel like to run? What did it feel like to hide? What did it feel like to encounter God in the sheer small silence? I want to imagine. Because what that does, of course, like any good mystery, any good thriller, even a good love story, right? It captivates you. It captivates who you are and what's going on in the book. And it, has a fir- it gives a further desire to know, what am I going to do with this or about this? I want to invite you to imagine the next time you read Scripture. Second thing I want to invite you to is to seek. And all I really mean here is to ask some questions. I, I, I am one of those curiosity guys. I'm the, guy, I'm the kid who in elementary school and junior high, I got in trouble for asking questions a lot. I wasn't asking them to be agitating. I was asking them because I I really wanted to know, why were we doing this? Or what is this for? How is this going to help? Not every teacher appreciated that. But I want to challenge us to seek because it's in the asking of the questions that doors begin to open. Ask questions when you're reading Scripture like, man, what does this say about God and God's nature? Or what does this say about me? If I'm a follower of Christ, what is this saying to me? What is it claiming for me? Or um, what is this calling me to? Uh, All of Scripture is calling us to something. And so if it's calling us to something, what is it uh, that I need to be called to? What am I supposed to do with this, right? All of those are seeking. It's why Jesus would say, seek and ask and knock, because as we do, Doors begin to open, and we can discern and we can become better at knowing what it is God wants for us. A third way we can engage Scripture, I just say, memorize. And I, I don't mean memorize a whole book. I don't mean memorize a whole chapter. If you want to do that, great, more power to you. The point of memorization of scripture is not to be overwhelmed, not to feel as though it's a burden, but rather more so that I capture a, a, a verse or two that helps bring encouragement or helps, helps me in my time of need or helps lift me up, right? It's why we would often quote Psalm 23 or portions of it The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? That's about assurance, it's about abundance, it's about gratitude. It's why further in, in verse 4, we would say, um, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because you are with me. We need that from time to time, don't we? Or when we hear the prophet uh, Micah say to us, well, what is it that the Lord requires but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God? That tells me what I need to do. Or I hear Paul say to the Philippian church, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, when I have that and life is hard or I don't know the the way forward or I can't seem to see uh, what it is God's asking, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or the words of Jesus that say, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Ooh, that stings. But it's a word I need to hear and a word I need to live with. You see, scripture memorization is a way to say, God is with me and I can take that wherever I go. We don't have to memorize the whole book, just that which can be helpful, and wherever I go, therefore I know God is there. Another way to engage Scripture is prayer. Certainly to pray that I might receive wisdom and insight and guidance, right? Certainly to pray that I might could discern God's will as I read, but I also want to suggest we can actually pray Scripture. Much like we memorize Scripture, these, are, these two are tied, we can actually pray Scripture. Like the words, Lord, have mercy, long-standing prayer in the church. That's actually from Scripture. Uh, First, probably from David when he got caught in sin with Bathsheba, and he writes Psalm 51, and in part he writes, Lord, have mercy on my soul. When we pray that short little pithy prayer, we sometimes refer to as breath prayer. Man, it, it helps us to know God's presence and to begin to discover God's reality in our lives even more. Lord, have mercy. Or Saul's, I'm sorry, Samuel's claim in 1 Samuel chapter 3, when when he knew God was calling or he he recognized it, he finally said, Lord, speak for your servant's listening. That can be a short little breath prayer. Lord, speak. I need to know more. I want to know more. Help me out, Lord. Lord, speak. I'm listening. And then to pause and to reflect on whatever it is God might be speaking. That's Scripture in your breath holding you in relationship with God. Or the powerful words of the prophet Isaiah, or Moses, or David, or Jeremiah, or anybody else who heard God's call and they said, Here I am, Lord, send me. Under our breath, in the moment of uh, deep, deep discerning and trying to figure out God's will forward, here I am, Lord. It's a breath prayer. It's a powerful gift of connection with God. We can pray the Scriptures. Another way to engage Scripture, of course, is study. Not only do I want to invite you to study regularly personally in devotional reading, but, man, it is so powerful to be able to engage Scripture in group Bible study, right? We have long-term and short-term Bible studies here. We have several adult Sunday school classes that study Scripture and and walk through the Bible. and, And, man, there's nothing quite like studying Scripture together, You know, I've been teaching disciple Bible study for 30 years, and I know many of you have taken disciple Bible study. And by far, the two most common comments I get about disciple Bible study is, I loved and cherished the the discipline of study, right? And and I sometimes uh, recognize how much I miss it when I'm out of disciple. But the second is also true, and that is this. I learn so much more about Scripture from others and being in relationship with them in the class. Having taken the class 30 times, I can tell you, without exception, I still learn new stuff. I still discover things that I either had forgotten or didn't know before or somebody brought up or highlighted or whatever. And I I read Scripture. This is the beauty of Scripture. I'll read the same passage over and over again, and I'll see things I didn't see before or hear things that I didn't encounter before. That's the dynamicness and the aliveness and the life that God breathes into God's Word and why we need to do it on a regular basis. These are some ways to engage Scripture in such a way that we recognize that God loves us and that God wants this relationship with us. And the more we engage, the more we know God's heart, and the more God knows us, and the stronger and richer the relationship Now, as United Methodist Christians, we have what we call theological guidelines. And these theological guidelines kind of help us see, so how do I apply what I'm learning? How do I apply what I'm discovering here, right? They're very short and sweet, but they are very helpful. The first is Scripture is the very first uh, theological guideline. What that means is it's our primary source. We always start with Scripture. We we say that here. We're biblically relevant, right? It's a value of ours. It contains everything we need to know for salvation. It is foundational to who we are. So we're going to start there. And we're going to discover, what does God say about this? Or how can I learn more about this? That's what Jesus did in the synagogue that day, right? He started with Isaiah 61, and he began practically to unpack it, right? We start with Scripture. This is why over the last many weeks, we've kind of used foundationally as a, as a theme verse throughout our weeks, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that says, all Scripture is inspired by God, right? And it's useful for teaching and reproofing and for correction. And it's a gift to us. And when we use it, it helps our lives, Discover happiness, fulfillment, right? Grow our faith. It is foundational. So this is where we start. But every once in a while we realize, man, I, I, I don't understand that, or that's hard to uh, get to know, or I'm not, I don't really recognize how. How do I apply that? We have three other sort of guidelines that help us better know what Scripture is calling us to. The first we call tradition, or the second rather, after Scripture, The second is tradition, and tradition simply means this is um, our historical teachings. This is what the church has said. We we said a creed earlier. That's a tradition, right? Fifteen, eighteen hundred years we've been saying the creed. This is where doctrine is formulated. This is how the church knows how to interpret Scripture, because the teachings of the church for centuries, millennia really now has helped guide us through that. The the theological doctrine of the Trinity is not explicit in Scripture. It's there, but it's all bits and pieces. It was the church's teachings that pulled it all together and said, this is the doctrine of the Trinity. Jesus was doing this when he got up to read in the synagogue, when he was highlighting the the rabbis. and He said, surely you'll quote this, Dr. Cure Yourself. That was what the rabbis had said. Jesus was using the tradition to help guide his teaching, right? The church has done this for centuries. It helps unpack what the scriptures say when we don't always understand it. Even the book of Hebrews that does this great job of of identifying some of what you and I now call the church fathers, right? In Hebrews chapter 11, talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Enoch and all of those folks who went before Jesus. And then he says in chapter 12, as he begins writing chapter 12, he says, "'Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, Right. Let's also lay aside every weight and run the race with perseverance. What he's saying is all those folks laid a foundation for us. And the church's teachings help us if sometimes we don't fully understand Scripture. The third theological guideline we use as well is experience. Experience says to us, um, this is my personal encounter. And and we all have a different one, right? That's the beauty of of the body of Christ is each one of us is different. We bring something different to the table, a different perspective, a a different understanding, a different way of looking at it, right? And that experience says a lot. Don't you imagine this day after those folks in the synagogue walked away from their experience with Jesus? (laughs) Uh, They probably claimed a couple of things unique, right? Um, I love what the prophets say. I'm not sure I want to do what the prophets call us to, right? That was their experience. There are so many of these in Scripture, but one of my favorites is the man born blind, John chapter 9, the whole chapter is about the man born blind and the questions about, well, golly, was he born blind because his parents sinned or because he sinned? Because, of course, the belief in the day was if you had an infirmity, it was because you sinned or somebody else sinned, right? And so there are all these questions, and then Jesus heals him, and people begin to wonder, and they actually call Jesus out. You weren't supposed to do that. That's not your authority. You can't do that. And they then question the man, and they want to capture him in it. And in uh, John chapter 9, verse 25, the man says this, I don't know whether he's a sinner, meaning Jesus. I don't know if he's a sinner. What I know is, I was born blind and now I see. Don't you imagine his experience tells him that healing is real, that miracles can happen? I know that we don't all necessarily believe that, but this guy does, and he does because it happened to him. His experience was real, and there's no taking that from him, and there's no ripping it out of his life or his testimony. There's a reality that for him, this is true. And I just want to suggest for each one of us, it's it's slightly different. We encounter the Holy Spirit differently. Some of us, the Holy Spirit causes rambunctious motion and perhaps even speaking in tongues. And for others of us, the Holy Spirit is calming and inner and assuring. And neither is right and neither is wrong. It simply is the way we experience God's working in our lives. You see, we look at Scripture first, the teachings of the church and our experience, And then finally, the fourth guideline we use to apply Scripture to our lives is what we call reason. And all we mean by reason is this is wise thought. This is where we say we we don't check our brains at the door when we come to church. We don't check our brains at the door as we read Scripture. But in conjunction with God's Spirit and in conjunction with the wisdom and the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the abiding of the Scriptures, We use the intellect that God has given us to try to better appropriate it, to try to better utilize it in our own lives. This is what Jesus did in the synagogue when he went from here's what the prophet said and here's how we need to live it out. He intellectually helped them to see that God's mercy and justice was not just for the chosen but for everybody. If he couldn't have intellectually done that, they would have never received it. The wisdom writer, of the prophet, of the Proverbs, says it this way in Proverbs 9. Wisdom begins with the respect of the Lord, that in in old-fashioned language, in the fear of the Lord, reverential awe of the Lord. This is where wisdom starts. And so in part, what we mean when we say reason is in conjunction with God's movements in the world and in conjunction with with reverential awe of who God is, I can use God's intellect in my brain to help me better understand what this is. This is where questions can be helpful. This is where we want to say, man, I I don't know this or I don't understand this. How can I know more? How can I know better? What can I do to discover, right? These guidelines help us better apply Scripture daily. And it's my hope and my wish for each of us that we would engage Scripture because we love God, because we want a richer relationship with Jesus, because we want to be a part of this great love story so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for those of you who, are the, who for the very first time began to read Scripture daily. Thank you for those of you who may have done it before, but golly, you were kind of hit and miss and you weren't really sure, but you, you started in again. And thank you for those of you who have done this regularly and consistently all of your faith journey. I'm grateful because a part of what you now know or what you have known for many years is it's this that helps guide me into faithful living and helps me to execute God's will and God's desires. And so I'm excited for the ways in which you will continue to make God's word your home, as John 8:31 tells us, so that we can truly be his disciples. When you leave this morning, you'll be given a little bookmark that simply says that. Make God, God's word your home. As you do, it will help you to love God more, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to do God's good will in the world. I'm so grateful that God has unleashed God's Word on all of us this day and the next. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for your Word, Jesus Christ made flesh, for your words in Holy Scripture that contain everything we need to know for salvation. God, for all of that, we give you grateful thanks that it guides our every step, encourages our souls, and helps us to know of your love that we might demonstrate it every day. God, we're so grateful for who you are, and we lift this prayer in the name of Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen. Hey, friends, for all of your generosity, I give you grateful thanks. You do amazing work to help bring God's Word alive, to help celebrate that with others. If you brought a gift with you today, you, of course, can drop them in the brown boxes there, and I invite you to hear a great story of one of our church members who your generosity helped make her life journey and her connection to ministry here possible. I invite you to listen to Mary Worthington's story.
1: Hi, I'm Mary Worthington, and I've been a member of TREACH since 2014. I joined TREACH because I wanted my daughters and my youngest daughter, Corinne, to be involved in a wonderful confirmation program, and TREACH had a great reputation for that. I think the thing that uh, TREACH really has provided for me is a place of comfort But also, TREACH is a church that tries new things and really presents its congregation with wonderful opportunities to plug in. And I needed to find a way to get involved in the church. I am in a life group that started in October, and this is my second life group at TREACH. And I look forward to that every Tuesday night. We laugh, we tell great stories, I just feel in such a short amount of time, a closeness to the people in the life group. I would say that that's my new chapter in ministry and my new chapter in my connection at the church. I also serve on the hospitality committee and I work the welcome desk. And I love that because I get to say hi to people, I get to have conversations with people. I find it's really easy to come into church, go sit in worship and then leave and not really talk to people. So for me, I need to be involved and I need to be able to connect with people to feel a part of. Treach, your generosity has allowed people like me and others to get connected and grow and feel a part of this wonderful community. Yay, TREACH! To continue to give to the ministries of TREACH, scan the QR code, go to tmumc.org, give, or text the letters T-M-U-M-C to 45777. Thanks.